Are you on a laptop? Are you on a laptop? Are you on a laptop? I don't think he can hear me. I don't think he can hear either. Fourth and Short Podcast. This is Brian Debersluce, joined by Bradley Smith and John D. Long, and we're here to provide a little bit of a review of the bye week, or I should say a bye week review of the team, since there's not really much going on this week. So figure we break down how the team's done, some of the acquisitions and rookies and free agents they've had. So how you guys doing tonight? Pretty decent. I'm good. I'm back on the rock band mic because I liked it so much last week or last episode. Makes you feel like a rock star, doesn't it? No, it may, well, no. I just feel like I'm on the real radio because I'm just holding a microphone up to my face every time I got to share a take. Makes them feel more legitimate. You know, they do sound better coming from the yeah. mic. So, yeah, I'm just gonna stick with it. Probably. Yeah, that's a good idea. I highly recommend. Buy it's like a Konami USB mic, and then you get to hold it up to your face. How are you doing, Brian? I'm good. I'm good. Just uh, figuring out my audio stuff here, obviously. But, you know. Not well. That would yeah. have been pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's a struggle. You know. Not going to lie. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to put on the – I'm going to go ahead so, and take off the board episodes without an audio problem. We had it up to one, and now we're going to go back to zero. <laughs> we're we're back to zero. Board. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I guess last week wasn't really good either. Yeah, I'll figure it out. Anyway. Um, so Panthers are obviously seven and three, which is good in contention for a playoff spot. Yeah, no, definitely not bad. And they just came off probably their best win of the season, 45-21 over the Dolphins. Um, it's been kind of an up and down year offensively and defensively. So what are you guys' thoughts? I'll start with you, Brad. What are your thoughts on the state of the team as it stands right now? I think we've got a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde scenario going on because we've we've seen games where this team looks like they could beat anybody anywhere anytime you know any circumstance like Monday night they they could have beaten any team in the league on Monday night the way they played uh we saw that when they played Detroit and New England you know those back-to-back road games they looked like they were unstoppable and we've also seen games like the, the like the Chicago game where they looked like they couldn't beat, you know, 11 random dudes playing Ironman football. So um, overall, I'm happy. You know, we're seven and three. We're in the hunt. That's the one thing I've always wanted us to be. Uh, I've always been tired of the the flip-flop. You know, we're really good or then we're really terrible, you know, back and forth every other year. So it's nice to see that 
you know, we're competing with three or four other teams for a playoff spot. You know, we're only a half game out of the division, so we can't complain too terribly much. The the Saints, at the beginning of the year, we thought they were a joke, but they've actually turned it around and won seven in a row. So, so, so what? Uh, all right. Oh, no. I, oh, no. Oh, now oh, it happened no, again. No. Jesus. Uh, oh. Well, um, um, fix one problem and another pops up. Um, I am. I think we're in position to do our annual late November, December run where we just suddenly become a lot better at football than we were for the beginning of the year. And just like when we were 15 and one, the beginning of this season, when we were bad, we actually weren't awful. So if we keep the trend and keep trending up, um, I really, I really like the, the prospects of this team moving forward. Like, I know we're just seven and three. I could easily see us finishing this like 12 and four, just because that's what we always do. No matter how good or bad we are at the beginning of a season, we're always strong at the end. That's the strange thing about the Ron Rivera era is uh, every year, no matter how bad the team is, all of a sudden they rock, they rock out at the very end of the year, win like three, four, five straight or something like that. And it just makes no sense. But there's there's definitely concern just because they have a few tough games left on the schedule, but they definitely were playing their best football the last few weeks, so maybe they've figured it out finally. It's the the weird thing about it is that it's like the same team could come back from year to year and still start off awful after finishing the year so strong. I don't understand how it happens. Oh, there he goes, officially. Um yeah, it is strange. Like they, it just seems like Ron doesn't get them prepared to start the season. But then again, like there, there's those two years where they came out and they were real strong in their first two games, uh, 2014 and this season, and then they just like they just crapped the bed like for a few weeks there. So I don't know. It's so inconsistent early on in the year with them, but. I guess they just gotta find gotta find their stride, and the playbook has to match up with what the players are doing, and they have to execute right, and the play calls need to be better. But it just seems like there's always a market improvement in both facets of that part of the offense every year. Yeah, like I have no idea what it is, but uh, as long you know, you can set your watch to it. If the Panthers are playing well, it's holiday season. For real. It's like one week, like it's typically like week four, week five. We're talking about like when's Mike Shula gonna find a new job, and then like <laughs> every single year. Then Still like flip. midway through the season, he plays. He calls like a perfect game. Yeah, like you could say that about Monday night. Yeah, it's just like then you're just sitting there like, well, this guy seems like he can be a genius sometimes. Like, what's going on here? So. I don't know. I mean, it's it's going to be an interesting year because the top team in the NFC South right now is doing the same thing, the same things that Carolina does, arguably better in a lot of facets. So that's going to be a really fun game to watch. Hopefully, in a few weeks against the Saints. I love that the NFC South basically is one hundred percent upside down from what a lot of people thought it would be. 
Well, that's the NFC South in general, usually. I mean, no one expected the Falcons to go on that kind of run last year, and no one expected the Panthers to shit the bed like they did last year. So, yeah. yeah. I, well, and then this year we have the annual, this is the Bucks year um, from a lot of people. And then once again, the annual, uh, they were wrong. And then the Falcons having, you know, the post uh, Shanahan, post Super Bowl struggles and then the saints i don't know what's happening with the saints that's the weirdest that's the weirdest thing of everything is why are they not bad and it's like the least of their successes are from drew Brees. so they play good defense and they run the football it's like this is not the saints it's funny because like we knew they were going to have like a top tier offense regardless um but the fact that they like finally found a running game and found two guys that were very complimentary to one another on top of the fact that they let these mother these oh, I almost I almost said a real bad word. Um, these, <laughs> these idiots these idiots in front of the Saints in the draft allowed them to get Claiborne, um, which made no sense to me how he fell that far. It's like Claiborne or uh, Lattimore, Lattimore, whatever. Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. They rhyme. Yeah. They don't, but that's fine. Uh, it's been a long day. Um, but yeah, Lattimore. They allowed Lattimore to get that far. Like he was like the the closest thing to like a surefire shutdown corner in the NFL, in as far as the rookie class went, and he made it all the way to the Saints, which drove me nuts, nuts. <laughs> so, because he turned that defense around, because now they actually have some semblance of a pass defense, and they've got some pieces working out for them on the on the front seven. So, it's going to be an interesting game for sure. Um, well, see. we got one game in between, so yeah. Hopefully, we're uh, it'd be nice to be tied with them going into that game. That would be that would be fantastic. Good, much must watch TV. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a smash mouth, run the ball type game for sure. So knock down, drag them out, slobber knocker. That will be. Oh yeah. Speaking oh. of slobber knockers, <laughs> Brad, our favorite slobber knocker. Can you hear me? No. Mm-hmm. All right. I think I figured out the problem. All right. Your internet's bad? No, it's actually not my internet. I believe it's my computer. Okay. How does that happen? I, I, I have no idea, but my internet was working just fine. I, I use a Chromebook, and I think that it just can't handle this Uber conference thing that we use. I don't know why, but... That would make sense why it's always been working until we started using Uber conference. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I haven't used my Chromebook until we did it the other day. I've been using my old uh, okay. piece of crap computer that shuts down halfway through a Skype call, or at least started shutting down halfway through a Skype call. So well, we'll see how it works this week. And if we have to make an audible, we can. Um, That's a good football joke, Brian. Yeah. Hey. Halftime adjustment is something that Mike Shula knows nothing about. Hey. 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 So, do we want to jump into the to the rookies, or Brad? Do you want to continue your point? Even um, remember what you were saying. I was saying something about the Saints being good, better than. Yeah, um, we kind of talked about that a little bit while you were going. Okay, well then we can just go on to the rookies. So, Brad, <laughs> since you haven't had a chance to talk in a while, um, go ahead. Spit it out and- quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go make this as quick as possible. Uh so your thoughts on the rookie class, and I know a lot of them are injured, but give us just like your rundown of the rookie class, maybe like your favorite 
draft pick, which I'm sure is there's not really much to choose from there. I guess just give us your general thoughts on how this draft class went. I think overall it looks good. I mean, you know, we've got Christian oh, no. McCaffrey who's who's starting to find his own way. And, you know, it's unfortunate that we've lost so many of the other ones to injury. You know, Curtis Samuel got hurt last week. Corn Elder got hurt in the preseason or in training camp, never played, you know, a single down, I don't believe. Um, Harrison Butker is no longer with us. He's with the Chiefs now, which still angers me to this day. Um, Starting to forget about that, too. Yeah, I know. Um, Taylor Moten has looked good in the, like, five minutes he's played. Um, Alex Arma has looked pretty decent in the about five to ten minutes that he's played. and. Der- uh, who else did we draft? Um, Deshaun Hall, did you say him? Deshaun Hall, he's on IR, so we haven't really seen him do much of anything. Um, so, yeah, that's we're, we're basically hanging on to the fact that Christian McCaffrey's turned out to be pretty good. <laughs> I'm going to – I pretty much agree. I think if I'm going to give it like a letter grade, it's like a B – maybe a yeah, B. Yeah, I think that's just, fair because you can't it, really predict injury. Yeah, so yeah, I can't fault yeah, the injury front, um, which is disappointing that just like with Samuel being out for the year, we we're going we're gonna to finish with like one rookie that actually like regularly contributes. Um, it's promising. I think that's for sure. It just, it'd be nice to have more immediate contributions from the people not named Christian McCaffrey, but it is what it is. Half of them are hurt, so they can't contribute at all. Um, yeah. The the big issue is not a drafting problem, but yeah, we should still have Butker. I mean, Gano has been fine. We've not challenged him at all, but he hasn't screwed up. So that's not terrible. Yeah. That's one thing about Gano. Everybody keeps the, and Twitter is notorious for this. You know, Graham Gano is perfect except for one kick. And you know, this year he's, he's just as good as Butker has been. That's great, but his long is what forty two something it's like so, that. I mean, we I'm haven't. Pretty sure it's in the low forties. Yeah, we haven't challenged him. I mean, we're not. We're punting from the thirty five yard line instead of letting him kick a fifty yarder. So as long as forty eight. Forty eight. Okay. And he's only attempted one fifty yard kick, and that was that disastrous fifty eight yard attempt rush out to the field at the end onto the field at the end of the half against yeah. the Patriots. Yeah. So I mean, you know, we can't really proclaim Gano to be the best thing ever he's any kicker in the NFL should be able to make 40 yard field goals yeah so he's been fine not great oh I'm talking about Graham Gano it's just he's not here he's no Harrison Butker but he's fine yeah exactly he's no Harrison Butker and you know people keep leaving out a key factor in the Gano versus Butker um, battle Graham Gano costs four and a half million dollars. Harrison Butker costs four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And if you can get the same production and save three million dollars, you do it. Marty Herney for you. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um I I mean, I don't really have a whole lot to add to what you guys had to say about the rookie class. I mean, Arma has done more than I would have thought based on his draft position and the fact that he was basically a project player. Um, obviously, Christian McCaffrey starting to come into his own. Um, 
I'm what I'm not really happy about is, and I I know that like we've talked about the whole Kelvin Benjamin thing, but like the Panthers really made a concerted effort to add more weapons to the offense, but they let go of Kelvin Benjamin and Curtis Samuel's now hurt. So they're in like a worse position than they were even before they had McCaffrey. And it's like, there were t- like Moten made sense, but they've stuck to Matt Khalil and uh, Daryl Williams. Um, obviously you can't control Deshaun Hall getting hurt, but even then there's, the, the, I don't know how effective he would have been because literally every other defensive end on Carolina's roster right now has been productive for them. Um, and it's hard for me to say a whole lot about Corn Elder because, you know, he was a late-round pick and he probably wouldn't have beat out Captain Munnerland. Um I think that there were other – I think really it's just, it just sucks to have – like they, they wanted to move forward and have like a different kind of attack and get more speed on the field. And now we're back to – Christian McCaffrey is about the only guy that really makes anything any different for this offense. Um, so now it's more about play calling. So I'm, I'm definitely happy that they got McCaffrey. And I think Curtis Samuel really showed what he can be against Miami. It's just, he's been, he's one of those guys where it's like, what if, and that's how it's been all year with him. Cause if he hadn't been hurt throughout the entire preseason, he may have been more productive earlier. And if he hadn't broke, he hadn't had that unfortunate injury against Miami. He may have had his little breakout game. So you know, it's tough. It's, I'd give this rookie class an incomplete grade just because about the only one we can really grade is Christian McCaffrey, and so far we've had mixed results, but on an upward trend. So, yeah, like I said, mine is basically 100% based on that. I think they'll mostly be good players in the future. The one thing I think the big thing that drags us down is Curtis Samuel because he's been relatively not healthy, but he's had ample chances to play, and he's until he, uh, Monday night he was. Not he was just not very good, and I know it sometimes it takes time. He's very young, but I think I don't know. Usually, you want high second round picks to be able to come in and play a pretty key role on your team pretty quickly. I mean, not saying he won't get there, but it would be nice. It would have been nice to see him get there quicker. Yeah, I mean, you have to remember too. Like he was a running back slash wide receiver with Ohio State. It wasn't like he was a high end wide receiver running a, a large diverse route tree with Ohio State. Yeah, but it's not like the Panthers would ever like use a high second round pick to draft somebody and put them in a different position than they played no, in college. No, definitely definitely not. Um but not, not a Panthers way. But why he, would we do that? He does have the skill set to play wide receiver, but I think those reps were a lot more necessary than people realize for a guy like him. Because it's not even just like adjusting to a new offense. It's adjusting to the speed of the NFL at and a learning how to catch at a position that you have less experience at than you probably should if you're supposed to be a full-time wide receiver. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, and we'll move on to next year and see how he does. But yeah. it just sucks long- he's not, not going to be on the field more. So I just, I just hope these injuries don't become a recurring thing like Percy Harvin throughout his career because he's had like five separate injuries just in this season. Well... Hamstring injuries tend to linger, with especially now with the way they do things uh, with practice and whatnot. Um, they happen, they stick around, they don't really have time to rehab it, and it was just it just happened at the worst time for him. So yeah, well, um, he had his hamstring, and then he had a back injury once, right? And then he had yeah, yeah. he had an ankle injury right before the season started, and then he had, this is another ankle injury. Oh, four, unless I missed one. I threw a fifth in there in case I forgot one. Yeah. I don't know. I 
he'll have the whole off season to rest. He won't be training for the for the combine or training for his pro day. He'll just be rehabbing. So hopefully that'll work in his favor. But yeah, definitely concerned. So moving on, we just talked about the rookie class. Uh, let's talk about the free agent class because that was an interesting. That was a very interesting free agency period. Carolina was a lot more active than we're used to. Um, so I'll start with Brad here. Um, Brad, who is who is your favorite pickup? Oh, it's got to be Peppers. Um, I think that's Hard everybody's favorite. Yeah, that's everybody's favorite pickup. You know, that's the obvious choice. So I'll make it a little less obvious, and I'll go with Michael Pilardi. Um, I think that we all, you know, at the beginning of the year, we all thought it was kind of foolish to to keep him over Andy Lee. And it turns out that it was the right move. He has been one of the bright spots on the, on the team, not just the special teams unit, but the team, like he's, he's flipping the field, uh, giving the defense shorter fields to work with, uh, helping them, you know, they can, they can blitz more. They can rush the passer more when they, they have, you know, more field behind them. And, uh, I don't think we would be as good, uh, as we have been if we didn't have Pilardi punting on fourth down. So uh, I, I think it, that that was the surprise um, bright spot from the, the free agent class, quote unquote, free agent class. So, yeah. And of course it's a punter. So. Well, the nice, the, the one thing I do want to bring up about Pilardi, which is something that a couple articles mentioned uh, over the, the last week, He's actually like ranked as one of the best punters in the NFL right now, too. Like from a statistical standpoint, which was shocking to me. Like, not shocking in the sense of what I've seen on the field, just shocking that like we went from Andy Lee, who was like the GOAT last year as a punter, to Michael Pilardi, and he hasn't really fallen off much. He's they he, well, he, they made... he punts in a way that helps the, the coverage unit. He gets a lot of hang time on his kicks. And it gives the the coverage team time to get downfield, uh, you know. And as much as I quote unquote liked Brad Nortman when he was here, one of the problems with him is he didn't really get a lot of air under the ball, and the coverage unit didn't have time to get downfield and actually cover the returner. And with Pilardi, we're seeing what what we can do when we have a, a punter who can actually do that. And it's actually nice to see because yeah. our special teams have sucked for a long time. So it, it's nice to see a a year where they don't. Right. Exactly. Kind yeah, of stings, though, that we're we're missing a fourth-round pick this year for the punter that plays for the Cardinals. Yeah, that does kind of suck. But on the bright side – Right on your parade. Yeah. Well, on the bright side, Marty Herney, that's one less terrible player he can pick. It's okay. We have a third round pick from the Kelvin Benjamin trade. He can he can use instead. It's fine. Yes, much better. We, we yeah, he'll probably up. he'll probably get a fourth round player in that with that third round pick. So there you go. So John, who's your favorite pickup? All right. Since apparently we're skipping Julius Peppers, which by the way, it's so it's so fun having number ninety Julius Peppers doing stuff for the Panthers. Um, but aside from that. I got to go with um, the other really, really old guy that we signed, uh, Mike Adams. He's the only player not named Luke Keekley to have interception this year for the Panthers. Um, and he's not Roman Harper. That's 
that's very depressing that that's all our requirement is um, to like you as a safety, <laughs> you know, have an actual interception that counts and not be Roman Harper. You know, that we don't have very high demand. So if you're a safety and you want to get back into the league, you know, come to Charlotte. We'll yeah, probably like you. Yeah. And he's, and then even aside from that, he's actually been pretty good, I think. Yeah, he point. has. Like, you know, not I'm not going back and watching him individually, but I haven't seen him make any egregiously bad plays. And he seems to be getting, he, he's in the mix a lot near the line of scrimmage when we're stopping runs for no gain. That's a good point, too, because he doesn't strike. He doesn't look like a guy who's 36. He looks like, you know, a guy in his prime. He's the anti-Roman Harper in that Roman Harper looked like he was 45 years old when he was 32. And Mike Adams looks like he's like 30 or 31 when he's like 38. Uh, Roman Harper looked like he was almost 70, though. That was (laughs) trying to be nice. Every now and then I'll try to be nice. (laughs) So... My fra- my favorite pickup, and obviously skipping the obvious ones like Julius Peppers and Captain Munderland, though Captain Munderland would be a really good one, just saying. Um, I actually really like pick- the pickup of Kevon Seymour, and obviously that was done via trade rather than uh, through free agency. But number one, they essentially got him for nothing because the guy that they that they traded away is back with Carolina. Um, but Kevon Seymour is like every week slowly pushing – Daryl Worley for more playing time. And I remember when the Panthers made that trade, a lot of us were like, why did they do that? And if you went over to the the Buffalo rumbling page, they were pissed about it because apparently he had like a, some undiagnosed condition with his eye where he like, he essentially needed contacts. And that was why, like he had his hands on the ball a lot, but he couldn't make a catch. And they were pissed about it because they felt he was a really good corner. And he's come in and he does. He seems to have more of the skill set that matches up with James Bradbury as far as like putting him on an island with the guy. And I like the fact that Carolina now has because this isn't this isn't the same situation as like 2013 when it's like Drayton Florence or Melvin White. This is uh, two young guys who have upside who are both playing, both making plays and are pushing each other for playing time. I really like the fact that they got Kevon Seymour because he could potentially either be a starter or be a really good spot starter if one of them gets injured. Yeah, it's definitely been really nice to have that that depth where it's like we're, we're four corners deep, where it's not like before if like Josh Norman would have been hurt or something. It's like, well, well that sucks. Teddy yeah. Williams, there you go. What? Get out there. Teddy oh, Teddy, yeah, Teddy Williams. The best part about the Kevon Seymour trade, though, is, you know, we traded Kalen Clay for him. Well, we got Kalen Clay back. So Didn't we also give up a seventh-round pick? We also gave up a seventh-round pick. Which we got pick, back with Kellen Which Benjamin. we got back. So we essentially got Kevon Seymour for free. Yep. And free is always good. Exactly. And he's better than Daryl Worley. And, you know, Daryl Worley's complained on, on social media about not liking the fact that that he's rotating in and out with, with another player, but you know, I believe I'm not sure if he actually said it or if one of the, the beat reporters posted that he said it to them. I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly how that worked out, but he has made that complaint that he, he I'm going to stop you real quick. He didn't complain. He just said that it's hard to get into a rhythm when you're constantly flipping in and out of the game, which I can totally see. That's a complaint. I can understand that. 
Yeah, it's a, fair, it's, a, yeah. it's a valid point, but it is a complaint. You know um, how you avoid that if your problem if you're Daryl Worley? Be better. Exactly. Get, get good. Get good, son. Yep. So we're gonna move let's move on to our least favorite pickup, which I have a feeling is gonna be fairly uniform. But I'll start with John this time since Brad's gotten the first pick with that the last few times. I guess I was I was thinking because I was gonna try to stray from the norm and we've only really had one questionable pickup. And I wouldn't even say it's been awful. Maybe underwhelming. <laughs> Matt Khalil? Is that is that what we're all yeah, yeah, agree with? Yeah, that's what I was that's what I was thinking. Yeah. He's been he hasn't been as bad lately. He seems to he's been really good pulling on those like bubble screens and toss plays. Um I so I think he can still redeem himself, but it's out of all the moves we've made over the offseason, it was definitely the the it's the most underwhelming that we've had so far. The least I whelming, I would because say. Because I actually disagree. Who's okay? Go ahead. Russell Shepard. Oh, that's another one, yeah. Well, before we get into Russell Shepard, I do want to say Matt Khalil over the last few weeks has actually played much better. Um Yeah, that's why I'm not ready to I was watching- I'm not calling it like a bust, but it's the least the, the, the least the, return for our investment that we've well that that's actually the reason i'm saying it's russell shepherd because you know if we would have recorded this show three four weeks ago then yes it would absolutely be khalil but like we said he's gotten better and russell shepherd hasn't done anything yeah you know? what were you yeah what were you gonna say about matt khalil before we complain about russell shepherd <laughs> um so there's a really good breakdown on Twitter from the Riot Report about Matt Khalil's last game, um, and he it meant it, it was it was basically a breakdown in gifts of how he did, and uh, like you said, John, on the pulls and the screen passes he did really well, but in pass protection against like Cameron Wake he was really good. Like he he shut him down on the interior rushes and on the outside rushes. He pushed him behind Cam Newton, which is exactly what you want and. Pro Football Focus rated him as a like perfect as far as pass protection went. Um, I am I have I'm wondering and like I said, this is not me saying this is definitely true, but I am wondering if it, if it actually did take him some time to gel with his offensive line and gel with Cam because he he had a really good game against the Dolphins and it's not like their front seven sucks, you know. Yeah, he can't be during the three game winning streak. So that's that's. That's definitely speaks highly of the entire offensive line, and Matt Khalil is twenty percent of that offensive line, so it speaks well of him too. <laughs> that whole twenty percent. Um, so yeah, Brad, go ahead. Air your air your complaints about Russell Shepard. Let's hear it. Well, I I don't really want to call him a disaster or a bust or any of those other kind of buzzwords you would use, but he hasn't really done anything. You know, he has what one touchdown. Yeah, on that. That was on that, on that highlight play. Yeah, on that one play. That's basically all he's done all year. And, you know, on Monday night, he he cost us several plays, you know, several first downs, several, you know, good plays where he just couldn't hang on to the ball. And, you know, that's really all we've seen out of him. It's just been a, you know, few catches here and there and then Monday. And... It's- to me, that's just not, you know, that's not good enough, especially when we don't have Kelvin Benjamin anymore. Especially with how uh, highly he was being talked about early in camp. 
Yeah, he that, was that being old... talked about as like the next big thing, and he just hasn't mm-hmm. he hasn't been that. Yeah, he was definitely like he was the most impressive receiver early part of training camp, and then kind of faded in the preseason. We're like, ah, it's just the preseason; it doesn't matter. He's been, you know, he's got that rapport with Cam. It'll be good when Cam is back, and then nothing. Yeah. Nothing. That that that's pretty much it. Nothing. Now yeah, and then they had the the drop on what it was like a third down drop that he had that was really egregious. And then I think I don't remember it was first or second down, one third, but we did that beautifully drawn up wheel route to him out of the slot, wide open, like twenty yard gain at least. And th- they were bad drops too. It was like he yeah. like didn't know how to use his hands. It yeah, wasn't even those like were, those were like <laughs> not even bad Ted Ginn drops like. Yeah, no, like, butterfingers or, like, concentration drop. It was, like, a trip over your own feet and, like, clap your hands too early and let the ball hit you in the face. It was, yeah. it was bad. At least with every Ted Ginn egregious drop, we got a Ted Ginn highlight reel 40-yard touchdown. And we haven't seen that with Shepard yet. So, I don't, I don't disagree. I think he'll – I think that he just – he may do better because he's definitely a high-effort guy. Um, but he definitely had a bad game against the – the Dolphins, and he hasn't done much since then. So I don't disagree there. Um, I guess my pick for my least favorite pickup is going to be Amini Silatolu, just because. Uh, was that this offseason that we were that was in? That was this offseason. Yes. I thought it, it would make sense. It was, the, it was the Panthers reunion offseason, so it makes sense if we signed him this year. Yeah, it, it was this offseason. Uh, uh, well, that's the only reason I didn't say him, because I thought we got him last year. So, it's not like I, I understand the justification behind bringing him back because he he was obviously very cheap. You know, he has he had upside. There was a reason why they drafted him in the first place. But he's taking snaps away from Taylor Moten, who is the future of this team as far as offensive tackle slash guard goes. So it's like they decide to play him instead, and he's doing he's not playing very well. So. It's that classic Ron Rivera mentality of, well, this guy's a veteran, so I'm going to play him instead. It's like, no, stop it. Like, I mean, Isilatolu has done nothing to prove that he deserves to be playing over Taylor Murray. So I understand, like, letting the, the rookies, like, you know, try to learn. But the number one best way to help a rookie improve is to throw him out there on the field. And if you really need somebody out there, it's not like Moten played like shit in the preseason, you know? Yeah, it's not like, yeah, he was pass he was at worst passable for yeah, so like, spot duty. At offensive tackle, I can maybe understand it, but like when when uh Trey Turner went out, that should have absolutely been Moten out there and not him. The thing with yeah. with Silatolu is not only is he not Alshon Jeffrey or like just struggling a little bit, it's like he comes in and immediately just gets like thrown to the ground and give up a free rush free rush Yeah, that that's what I was gonna say. It's like the there was one play where Trey Turner had to come out. He got hurt, and he had to come out for a play, so they put in Amini Silatolu. And the the one play he was in the game was a sack on Cam Newton, and they ran right by him and just, you know, it, it would have honestly it been – right? I think it was the Patriots game. Yeah, it would have honestly been better if we just didn't put anybody there. <laughs> because at the very least, they would have looked at the line and said, wait a minute, where's the right guard? And then <laughs> – you know that would have given Cam enough time to get away. Yes, like they they threw him aside like we had somebody that was like five ten, one hundred eighty five pounds playing guard, and he just kind of fell over his own feet and tripped up another lineman and allowed the sack. 
Or you could have just put like uh, like Daryl Williams at right guard and put like Ed Dixon and Chris Manhurts at tight end and just have them double block the defensive end. That probably that would have worked better too. than what Amini Silatolu did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's uh, it's become a meme at this point. You know, he's not Alshon, but he's also not Cordy Glenn. We could have had Cordy Glenn, and it's just, you know, he, he's that guy that we're never going to get rid of. He's the new generation of Chris Scott. Like, we're just, we're never going to get rid of him. We're going to have him on the line as a backup, you know, swing, tackle, slash guard for the next 10 years. I really thought you were going to say Brenton Burson, and I was about to flame you for that, but you didn't uh, No, I wasn't talking about future Hall of Fame wide receivers. Good. Good. I miss Chris Scott on screen passes. Where he would play tag with defenders. Yes, I thought he was like. It looked like he thought he was playing freeze tag. Like he would just like run through the defensive, like the, the defensive secondary, and just like smack people and keep running. It's like Chris, you're not helping anything. <laughs> They're supposed to stop moving when I tag them. <laughs> That's what it looks like he was trying to do. They're cheating. They're cheating. God damn. Yeah. I touched oh, you. You had to stop. That was uh, a block. So. Before we get into, like, our official projections for the rest of the season, I just want to bring up one last point because this is probably worth mentioning after the sudden revival of the rushing attack. Um, Cameron Artis Payne. So, yeah, he's definitely been playing pretty well, and he's obviously shown a lot more burst than Jonathan Stewart, though Jonathan Stewart had a really good game last week. Is it too early to call this rushing game a four-headed monster? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm back. All right. Sign it off, guys. <laughs> Wrong. Go away. No, I, mean, I, I, I want to see one more week of Stewart playing well before I proclaim that he's yeah, back and that I was wrong. I can't. I can't jump on the Jonathan Stewart is back bandwagon. I just – it was one night, and we've seen it before. Old washed up player has eight bad weeks in a row. Everybody says, "Oh, he's washed up. He's done." And then he rushes for two hundred and fifty yards. Oh, he's back. And but that's all he does for the rest of the year. You know, the only, the only counterpoint I have to that is the offensive line had by far its best game of the season. Yeah. So, now there is a theory that the offensive line has finally figured out their their blocking scheme because. Mike Shula's blocking scheme is the most complex in the league. And I believe Nerf or Canadian Panther has said that and even done film study on it. There's merit to that. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's logical, but when I watch Jonathan Stewart, I don't see an NFL every down running back anymore. I see a guy that should come in on third and one like Mike Tolbert was uh, I, I see Jonathan Stewart as that role, and I think that Christian McCaffrey and Cameron Artis Payne should be the two lead backs going well, like, forward. My when I said that, I know obviously I didn't provide a lot of context, but I wasn't saying that I think that Jonathan Stewart should be the bell cow power rushing back. I just think that you split the ball carries between him, McCaffrey, Artis Payne, and Cam the way they have been, and you're going to see success because it keeps them more fresh. But Stewart did run the ball 17 times on Sundays or Mondays, so I could totally see why you're saying that, and I would hope that 
if he's running the ball 17 times as productive as he was. But my, in in my opinion, I feel like it should be more split 50-50 between him and Cam- Cameron Artis-Payne to keep them both fresh. But I would like to Because he did have some, I mean, not you know, not to take any credit away from him, but he had some wide open lanes to run through. And he's still slow. And he did well to break some tackles and gain some extra yards after contact. But I don't know if there are very many running backs that would have struggled in his plays last night or Monday night. I don't know why I keep thinking it's Tuesday. Fair enough. Uh, with Cameron Artis Payne, too, I think – did I say it last show? But he really reminds me of Le'Veon Bell, how he runs. Yeah, you did say I that. I did say that last show. Yep. Because I watched it again, and, like, the touchdown, he basically paused – and ran through. And then even that long run he had to put the game away, he just kind of ducked and weaved through a very crowded space to get into the open field. And I don't I don't even think McCaffrey or Stewart would have made able, been able to make much, that much out of that run like he did. Well, he's got he's definitely got more burst than Stewart does. Um, yes. I, I think McCaffrey may have been able to do it, but at the same time, the defense may have been more keyed in on him than they were Cameron Ars Payne. So that's part of what he brings to the table, which is nice, is that the defense isn't usually as worried about him as they are McCaffrey or Stewart. So I can definitely agree with that. Um, All right. So MVPs. MVPs. So who are we going to agree on as the offensive MVP? Because I have a feeling we're all going to have the same answer. Yeah, I think it's going to be Cam. Um, yeah, (laughs) I think, yeah, well, I mean, Cam's definitely like the most important player and it was nice. I'm so happy that he played so well on Monday night to maybe for like the national audience to think like, Hey, maybe he's not terrible, even though he's got more interceptions and touchdowns this year. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, go ahead, Brian, you go ahead and share your piece first. I was going to say, I agree, and when they finally let Cam be Cam, as Brad shared weeks ago, he's playing much better. And yes, on on Monday, he he really looked more like himself. Like he what he was just going out there, having fun, making plays. Like it wasn't like he was trying to do too much, but he was just making plays when he saw him, and that's what we saw in 2015. Like. He was taking chances. He was running the ball. You know, he he just looked more like the dynamic player that we know from 2015 than he has since then. And it's it he really energizes his team. Like it's true. Like when people talk about how he how his swagger and his confidence and his motivation really drives the team, it's true. Like the entire team rallied around him and they looked and they dominated the Dolphins because of it. Like. It wasn't just because the team, like, it's not like this offense is any different than they've been all year. They just played much better, and they played with more confidence. So I agree. I think that Cam Newton, not just with his on-the-field production, but his on-the-field swagger and his presence, especially when they allow him to really be himself, is the key to this offense running well. And just letting him run opens up so many things. Just yeah. like it's 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 an extra, you know, it's another extra extra ball carry that the defense has to account for. It's an extra 
component of a play that they have to keep an eye on. Just that extra half second that they have to wait and make sure he doesn't keep the ball, make sure he doesn't run, opens up everything for the offense. So it's not a coincidence that as soon as we decided to to take the shackles off and let him run, things have started to, to uh, stay a little smoother. Yep. But aside from Cam, um, I've been impressed with Devin Funches. He's proven me wrong. I thought he was bad. He's been not bad. Uh, he's looked like he can be a number one wide receiver. Maybe not like a star number one wide receiver, but that he could put up like 1,200-ish yards throughout the course of a season if he were the, the full-time number one. Yeah, I think he's he's a number one on a, a quote-unquote bad wide receiver core. And he's a number two. I was going to say mediocre. Yeah. Mediocre, yeah, okay. And he's a number two on a good wide receiver core. Like, yeah. you know, I, would, I would even call him a high-end wide receiver two on a good wide receiver core, but yeah. Yeah, I yeah, mean, like if, if we like, ran a system like like Baltimore, where they've got three number two wide receivers, he, you know, he he would he thrives in that. Uh, I don't think we could send him off somewhere like Arizona, and he's not going to take over Larry Fitzgerald. You know, he he's not he's not that kind of number one guy. He he's he's like you said, Brian, a high end number two, and that could be good enough for, for what we need because we're going to get Greg Olson back and he's the primary target anyway. So, you know, I, I think it'll I, be good enough. Sorry. Yeah. I think it'll be good enough. And that's really all we can ask for. It'll be good that... enough. As long as we get some more speed to compliment him. I know we have Curtis Samuel for that, but I think if Curtis Samuel either grows into that role or we pick up somebody else just to, and then Devin Funches can be what Kelvin Ben a better version of Kelvin Benjamin, you know, in that intermediate area. Yeah. That was what I was gonna say actually, was um he is a better version of Kelvin Benjamin in the sense that he his yards after the catch are much better. Much he's better. a little bit he's a he's a bit faster, he's a bit better at breaking tackles. Like Benjamin will make a catch and he very rarely broke a tackle. He's just too big and too one point. Like, um, and obviously, like, he hasn't proven us any different about, like, the criticisms he had when he went to Buffalo, um, where Devin Vaughn just took in a, what, like, 20-yard screen pass? Like, Kelvin Benjamin would never have pulled that off. Never. Like, so I think the fact that he's, like, a more athletic and slightly smaller version of Kelvin Benjamin is going to be helpful, and he's really thriving in this role now that Carolina has to throw him the ball, essentially. So I agree. I think he's a high-end wide receiver, too. And I would hope that Carolina will look at someone who's like, you know, your Odell Beckham or Antonio Brown of your offense. But he's definitely going to be serviceable this year for sure. So yeah, I'd say Devin Funches is my surprise like breakout player this year. I forgot we were going to do that. That's yeah, what that, he would be mine. Too. Well, not much you agree, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think he's. I think he's definitely the probably the only person on Carolina that I would call someone who could break out at this at this point. Like. Mm-hmm. Like Ed Dixon might be a, a, a second, but there's really nobody that anybody that anybody would be surprised by on Carolina's team yeah. in general who would be a breakout player. So I don't disagree there. Um, before I was gonna say, I know we'll do. Is there anybody that's been? I know we talked about acquisitions, but players that are already on the team or whatever that have been a big letdown this year. Um, well, I guess it's not really his fault, but Ryan Khalil has been an utter disaster. Yes, that's that's been bad. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he got up the wrong side of the bed in Buffalo, and he hasn't played <laughs> since. You know, he played like one half of a quarter. I think he played one series. Like, he, yeah, he went he out there for one have, series. He, he might not have like, played yep. as much as I said. Nope, guys, it's not going to work. Yeah, mine, I mean, mine on, would be on like a strict uh, performance. Got a race racetrack outside. Um, would be Charles Johnson. He's been totally invisible all season. Yeah, he kind of has. I legit forget he's on the team very regularly. I know he's getting old, but like. He's become primarily he's just, a run stopper at this point. I mean, let's yes, be honest. Yes, he's completely a run stopper. He, he's basically West. Which I mean, is fine. We've been doing a good job. <clears throat> he's basically Wes Horton. You know, yeah, that's what he's. That's, that's a pretty what apt been. comparison. And even then, Wes Horton's been a better he's version got, of Wes Horton than, than Charles Johnson because at least he's gotten sacks and forced fumbles. You guys want to hear a fun stat? Sure. And I know this has something to do with injuries, but uh, Charles Johnson in the last three seasons has played 32 games. He has five sacks. He has zero sacks in 2017. Damn. Yeah, I know there was a story that came out earlier in the year. I think Jordan Rodriguez shared it at the Charlotte Observer that he he had some kind of back issue where he didn't think he was even going to be able to like physically get up and run around, much less play. And I think that's kind of been part of the issue that he's had this year. Um, But at that point, why not just put him on injured reserve? Well, yeah, the only that that's probably totally valid. I'm not going to say it's not, but we have to remember too. Julius Peppers has been lining up on his side on most of the obvious passing downs. That's the only thing I'm going to say about that. Like Peppers, they do, yeah. And Peppers has been really only used as a pass rusher. Which I mean, yeah, there's there's merit to that. But the other teams do sometimes pass when it's not an obvious passing down. Yeah, it's right. Not right. Generating anything. Yeah. Wait, you can I, do that? Like you can pass when it's not a an obvious passing down? Hey, we do that sometimes now. I wouldn't say often, but it happens sometimes. Yeah. So I guess there really isn't a reason to get into the most, the most uh, disappointing free agent pick or player because we are all pretty. I feel like we're all pretty, um, yeah, uniform on that. It's Ryan Khalil. So, um, let's go ahead and uh, move on to the rest of the season. So, the Panthers have uh, Minnesota. They have New Orleans on their schedule. They will also play Luke Keekley's defensive MVP. We agree. Yeah, Luke okay, Keekley's yes, defensive MVP. Since Brian's not going to cover that, I forgot. I'm sorry. Yes, Luke Keekley's MVP. We need to talk already... about Luke Julius Peppers is a close second. Yeah, Luke Keekley is obviously the MVP because no one else on the defense shows much value as him. And I forgot that we discussed that beforehand. That, we'll that, that, but yeah, we, everybody knows that. All right, we don't need to go into detail. Continue on. For no. So. The Panthers have the Vikings, and they have the Saints on their schedule, and they have a surprisingly good Jets on their schedule. So what's our projections for, the number one, their win-loss record, number two, playoffs? So, Brad, I'll start with you. Okay, we're 7-3 and three right now, so I'm going to say 11-5. and five. 
And I think we'll sneak in as the fifth or sixth seed in the playoffs. I do think New Orleans will win the division. Uh, I think they're just too good right now. And um, we'll probably lose to one of the two of New Orleans and Minnesota. We may even lose both. But I I do think there's going to be a classic Panthers game in there somewhere, like the Chicago game, where we're going to lose a game we have no business losing. And we'll end up 11-5. and I said, I think I've mentioned it briefly while you were away. Um, I think we'll go 12 and four just because this is the time of the year. Like I said, you can set your watch to it. If the Panthers are playing well, it's holiday season. Well, it's the holiday season. And um, I think we're just going to do this. What we always do and just go on this late season run and lose, you know, drop a, you know, we have play in new Orleans. That's probably the most obvious loss in there, but I think, We'll, sur- we'll probably lose to the Jets and then win out. That's that's the most Panthers <laughs> thing to do. I feel like it's just as likely as us losing to the Saints in New Orleans yeah. at this point. We're gonna we're gonna lose to the Jets. All hope will be lost. We'll have uh, shattered our playoff dreams, and then we will finish twelve and four and like win the division. And, then and the losing- sad thing is, is it's just as likely for either scenario that I laid out or you laid out that either yes. one of those will happen because, you know, we never know what this team is going to do. Yep, that's that's the Panthers for you, Brian. But we're in the hunt, so I'm happy. We're in the hunt. We're in the hunt. Yeah, that's, that always makes things fun. Agreed. Um, so I'm going to go with the 11-5 projection, but I actually have a slightly different take than Brad on it. I think the Panthers are going to lose to the Vikings just because – they seem to have the Panthers' number as far as uh, their defense goes. Um, I also think that – I think Carolina actually will beat the Saints because um, they always seem to split 1-1 one, one, one whenever they are both good or at least both decent. But I think the Panthers may lose to Atlanta in Atlanta. I, I, could, I mean, that could happen. Yeah, that could happen. Um... Yeah. I don't think we'll lose to Minnesota, though, because Greg Olson is covering their game on Fox <laughs> this week. I forgot. We're going to have their entire playbook. My bad. Yeah, he's going to know everything about them. Everybody knows that all the as, as standard procedure for play-by-play, you get the entire team's playbook in front of you so you can draw the plays on the Telestrator. Yeah. There you go. That is the most yep. ridiculous outrage ever. Yeah, Ray we Wilson might as well talk easy. about it since I brought go. it up. It, it's it's ridiculous that they're mad. I mean, now, I will say this. I do believe that Fox should have looked at the schedule and they should have thought, hmm, we probably shouldn't create this mini um, quote-unquote controversy. Um, you know, we've got a game that the Panthers don't play either of these teams. I think it's Cincinnati and um, – I don't remember who it is now. I think it's the Chargers or somebody like that, but it's the team we don't play. And, you know, it got moved to Fox because a Fox game got moved to CBS. So, you know, they could have said, why don't we give him this game? And that way he can get his little, you know, his internship in the booth and he can take full advantage of it. And then we don't have a, well, he's obviously going to be a, a spy and he's going to learn our entire playbook in three days. Like we've seen, you know, on online. Um, the other thing that I think is so funny. The other thing I think is so funny. Go ahead. 
Yeah, the other thing I think is so funny is people are like, oh, well, are the other play-by-play guys going to have to watch what they say just in case they give away too much? It's like, uh, guys, the stuff they normally say is on TV. Greg could yeah. just sit there on the couch and watch them say that stuff on TV. It's not a secret. Yeah. If Greg Olson were sitting in his house, he would have the exact same information. Exactly. Brian, your turn. So number one, um, the guy that he's going to be, uh, one of the guys that he's going to be on broadcast with, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was the person that he actually did a test run with like earlier on in like the off season or something like that, or maybe it was last year. Um, so it makes sense that they're going to put him on with that guy because that guy probably was heavily like, hey, we want to have Greg Olson on to call this game. So I do get that. And my second thing is, okay, Greg Olson's going to be on commentary. That's fine, whatever. But um, <clears throat> he's not going to be in any of the production meetings. Like, they're literally they're, – they're limiting his, his exposure about as much as they can. So I don't really understand the outrage behind it because, like, he's just there, like you guys said, watching the game essentially like we would on TV. And there's always scouts at every game for most teams. Like, someone's usually there, like, scouting out players because that's what they do whenever somebody gets cut. They might be able to, to get the guy back as, like, a free agent pickup, you know. So it doesn't make sense for them to be so outraged over – Greg Olson being there when there's literal scouts who could be who would be watching that game who are actually looking for that kind of stuff. Yeah, for yeah. the record, it's Kevin Burkhart and Charles Davis who mm. are calling the game with Greg. Burkhart's also, the one. Burkhart's the one that. Uh, we that, that we also don't get it in, in the Charlotte in the Panthers market if that matters to anybody. Um, yeah, and the the game that they could have put him on with the Chargers is actually Buffalo because we've already played Buffalo, so that's what they should have done to or Tampa Bay, Miami, or. Detroit, Detroit, Chicago would have been fine. Um, Literally all the other games except for the yeah, Arizona, Houston. Literally every game except Washington, New Orleans, the Rams, Minnesota, and then Tampa and Miami because we do play Tampa again. Um, but any of those other three, four games would have been fine. Tampa probably doesn't care. They're out of it anyway. Yeah, Tampa probably doesn't care, but, you know, somebody <laughs> would care. Um, but it, it would have been uh, – an avoided controversy and outrage had they just done that. Even right. though it is ridiculous that it is an outrage and controversy. Yeah, the only concern would be the production meeting stuff, and they've already said, like, yeah, he's not going to the production meetings. Yeah. Like, oh, guys, hey, look, Greg Olson, uh, I'm here to watch you practice. Don't mind me. <laughs> with my, with Don't my mind me and my notepad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, anything else? Yeah, I was saying, anything else you guys want to cover tonight? Uh, I think I'm good. Yeah, that pretty much is it. All right. Well, from all of us here at the CSR Podcast, enjoy your bye week and your Pantherless football week. You have to wait for a little bit to see the Panthers play again. So enjoy this Sunday and hopefully your fantasy football team do well. This is Brian, joined by Brad and John. And everyone have a good day see you guys next week later keeps the football takes off to the end zone for the touchdown he takes the handoff and he scores 
Avoided the Dolphins behind the line of scrimmage and took it in for the first touchdown of the night. Milton keeps, lowers his shoulder and takes it in for the touchdown. On second and goal, shovel pass, McCaffrey, touchdown. And off dive for Jonathan Stewart and he's in for a touchdown. That's intercepted by Keeping. He has more of those than any linebacker in the league over the last five years. You know. It's a road win in New England. Your last chance, last summer, your last dance to beat your own drummer. Go out fighting, go out young, a flash of lightning clips the sun.